with you this morning. Um, so next week is Christmas. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas early. Uh, if uh, you are going to be in town uh, a week from today, uh, we really, really hope uh, that you join us at 11 o'clock. Uh, this is my last pitch here uh, to make sure that you know, uh, especially those of you with kids, uh, that we want this to be a, uh, an easy service to both walk into and walk out of. Uh, we don't want to take your whole morning, uh, and if you plan it right, you should be able to uh, plan all of your Christmas events uh, around uh, what should be the highlight of the day, which is coming together to worship at 11 o'clock. Uh, singing and praising uh, Christ, our Savior, uh, and then uh, you're more than welcome to go home and, and finish uh, your day out as you see fit. Uh, I know my family has already made plans. Uh, we've got some plans to, to open some gifts uh, beforehand, and then we'll all show up. Uh, we'll enjoy the morning with you all, and then we'll maybe uh, keep opening gifts after that. Uh, and then we have plans uh, in the evening to go to hibachi, because uh, that's what we do on, uh, on uh, Christmas. I don't know what, what your Christmas looks like, but that's our Christmas evening. Uh, it's our, our new plans. Um, I hope that you consider, uh, as this week progresses, joining us that morning. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Jesus, as we come this morning... Uh, we are reminded uh, that you came uh, and that you dwelt among us and that you showed us what God looks like and that you are coming again. And Lord, we are preparing ourselves for your coming and for your second coming. And we ask this morning uh, that you continue to help us prepare. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been through, uh, now this is our fourth week of Advent, uh, we've talked about expectation and, and preparation and anticipation, and this morning we're supposed to talk about gratitude, and I'm just going to be honest with you, once I got to the fourth week, I thought, gratitude, like, well, one, we just did that like a month ago for Thanksgiving, two, it is like... The topic is really peace. It is the peace candle and, and gratitude and peace. I don't know. It was like a, I felt like a, it, wasn't, it didn't hit quite the same way that the, the three previous weeks uh, did. And so I've, I've done my best here to pull together what I think is uh, indeed an important topic, gratitude. Uh, Christ has come uh, as the Savior of the world. There's lots to be uh, grateful for in this, right? Uh, and so it is a reminder that as we celebrate, as we, as we open our gifts on Sunday morning, next Sunday morning, uh, that we're reminded not only to be uh, grateful uh, to those people who have given us gifts, uh, but that we be grateful for the Savior of the world on whose birthday we open those gifts. Uh, yesterday... Uh, I, uh, for the first time ever, uh, went out with my kids, uh, and we did something that we hadn't ever done before, which is we went to the mall, uh, the four of us plus David Allcroft, uh, and we, uh, we, bought, made, we made sure everybody had presents for everybody, right? 
Uh, I was anticipating chaos uh, at the Springfield Mall on the Saturday before Christmas. Uh, turns out it wasn't bad, uh, though my guess is this coming week uh, probably won't be the same. Uh, there's still time to do some last-minute shopping. Uh, but what was neat about being there and, and having that time with the kids was I kept saying, this is your opportunity to not think about yourself, right? So we're, we're looking around at different stores, and we're looking for gifts here, but don't think about what you want. Think about what your brother wants, right? Or what your sister wants, or what your mom wants. Uh, don't. That was hard, even for me. I, I'm sitting there kind of looking, and I'm thinking, uh, but then I, I kind of reorient myself. Gratitude, right? Gratitude. Like, be, uh, be thankful and thinking about somebody else, not about my own self. When we come to the text today, John chapter 1, it's a very familiar text, right? And it reminds, it is to, to me anyway, we've, uh, I've preached on this before, uh, but uh, it reminds me uh, of not just Christmas, it reminds me of the beginning beginning, right? And that's how this passage opens, it opens with us thinking about things that happened a long, long time ago. And John 1 begins this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The opening chapter of John is easily the most, um, uh, uh, like the clearest example of Christ as God that we find in our New Testament. John is making it clear from the opening pages that the baby that is born on Christmas Day is God in the flesh, right? That this word was with God in the beginning and the word was God. And as he'll come to say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes I just kind of take a step back from all the things I know about Christianity and the faith and uh, the, uh, the 43 years of church that I've had, and I just think to myself, the God of the universe came here and put on flesh and dwelt among us. And then you just kind of marvel in that. And you think, why, right? Like, a, like wow. What, what would cause God to do something so radical as to put on human flesh and to dwell among us? The incarnation is what it's called, the enfleshment uh, of God. The incarnation is a mystery, and we should always start there. It's a mystery. It's, it's really hard to fully explain and fully understand the depths of the fact that God is both fully God, or Jesus is both fully God and fully man, right? This is what the, uh, the early church has said from the beginning, fully God, fully man. What does that mean? We don't know. But the incarnation gets me thinking about a few things. 
And when I think about the question, what radical thing would cause God to put on human flesh, I've got three answers that I came up with for this morning. The first goes like this, is that for God to put on human flesh and to dwell among us means that there must be something in this world worth saving. There must be some good in it, right? Otherwise, God would not do such a thing. This would be ridiculous to put on human flesh and and to come and to dwell among us. But God saw fit because when God looks around and he sees us, he sees that there is still good among us. Uh, When Jesus uh, comes, uh, he comes, uh, it says in in the John passage here, and and we should read it, it says that uh, the true light, verse 9 here, um, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was even made through him, it says. But the world did not know him. And it says, he came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. And it's saying two things. It's saying that the creator of the world, well, came into the world, he came into the world And the world didn't recognize the creator as the creator. And he even came to his own, which I take to be the Jewish people. The people who had studied scriptures, who have uh, the Old Testament to work with, and and to read, and to absorb. And they didn't even receive him. And they didn't recognize him. But what is really interesting, and there's a trap that I think people can fall into, and certainly uh, in the first century people fell into routinely, was uh, the trap of what I call Israel only. It's this idea that uh, when a Savior does come, when a Messiah does eventually show up, that Messiah is not for the world, it's a Messiah that's for Israel only. That's the trap, right? And the idea there is is maybe a simple one. It's that Jesus only sees good in Israel only, right? That there's kind of this this remnant of the world. There's this, this small part of the world. Well, they have some good left in them, and that's worth saving. But the rest of it, not so much. But when Jesus comes, that's not what he does, is it, right? It's made very clear from the beginning of Jesus' ministry that he is setting out for the Jews, yes, but also for the Gentiles, which is to say literally everybody else on the face of the earth. And that God comes in human form and takes the form of a baby and grows up in stature as a man in order that he might see the good in all the world. I think that still exists. I think when we read passages like Genesis 1, 27, 
where we find that the, uh, the image of God is stamped upon every human being suggests that within each and every one of us, those who believe and those who do not believe, there is the image of God that is born within them. Whether they realize it or not, there is something in there that is indeed good and worth saving. It can be the only explanation for why God would take on human flesh and do something so radical as that. The second thing that stands behind this question for me, what radical thing would cause God to take on human flesh, is that God, God loves the world. We've heard it a thousand times, haven't we? It's John chapter 3. It's the next page in my Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? In the passage for today's reading, we find that Jesus is the life and the light. And that he's offering that life and that light to everybody. And here, in the the page that follows, we find that God so loved the world. Here's a word that probably gets misunderstood a lot. (laughs) It gets used in a variety of ways in our New Testament. The world. Sometimes the world uh, is understood uh, rightly as uh, that terrible thing, right? The world is being condemned because, you know, it's a terrible place. Uh, And it seems that Paul can use it this way. John can even use it this way sometimes. But here, here it's clear that the world means something different and something maybe bigger. Because God so loved this world that he created, right? Right? And he loves it because there's still good in it. And God so loves the world that Jesus came among us and put on human flesh so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn us, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save the world. This is good news, right? Jesus is a vehicle not for condemnation, but for what? Salvation. The whole point of Jesus' coming is not to condemn the world, it is to save the world. This is the good news of Jesus. Now, it is followed by some bad news, and it's, it's worth reading what comes next, which is that whoever believes in him is, is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe is, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment The light, Jesus, has come into the world. And some people darkness rather than the light 
because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Here's how I read this passage. I read this passage not as Jesus coming to the world in order to judge it and condemn it. I read it as a passage that says to me actually pretty clearly that the world is a lost place filled with lots of brokenness and darkness. And Jesus, the light and the truth and the life, comes into the world to do what? To bring light to the darkness. To bring life to those who are dying. And again, this is, simply put, this is good news. And so, yes, while uh, on the one hand, there, this world is a world that is filled with some good that is worth saving, God does love this world so much that he sends his only son. But the third thing is true as well. And the third thing is that sin is real and brokenness is real. And that darkness is real. And I think I used to believe that we didn't really need to say it that much because most of us just simply experience it. We experience our own sin and the sin of others. We experience the, the, the hurt that happens inside and the hurt that we see in others. And we see the ways in which we break one another on a routine basis. But I think sometimes it, it does need to be said. That all of that is out there. And that is the nature of a part of this world. That there is that darkness. And though, yes, there is the good, and there's the stamp of God's image on each one of us, and both believer and non-believer, that brokenness, sometimes it, it crowds the light out, or, or so it seems. But John 1, John 1 is worth reading again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Everything you see has the imprint of Jesus on it. If you were to uh, be a Toy Story figure, you wouldn't have Andy scrawled on your, uh, the bottom of your foot. You would have Jesus right there, right? The Word, everything that was made belongs to him. But this is the, the line that I want you to catch. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the good news. It doesn't matter how much darkness is out there, Jesus is the light of the world that will shine no matter what. And when we celebrate Christmas at this time of the year, we are celebrating the coming of the light into a dark world. 
what radical thing would cause God to take on human flesh? It turns out that darkness would do that. It turns out that sin would do that. It turns out that the, the, that exile or whatever name you want to put on it that we all experience would do that. And that Jesus has come that we might be set free. That we might be given redemption. And that is what we come for. And so if I can return back to the, the topic of gratitude for just a second here. What do we have to be grateful for uh, this Christmas? It turns out a lot of things, right? Of course, we have friends and, and family and, and gifts and, and all of those things. But my job is not to point you to those things. My job as a pastor is to point you to what is above, to the lasting things. And so I would point you to this. That we worship a God who created a world and said that everything was good within it. And there is still good left in this world. And we can see that, right? And we sometimes can see it so clearly in nature or in the eyes of another person. And we offer praise for that. And we should offer thanks for that. And ultimately, we should offer thanks back to God, the creator of all things. We should also offer gratitude for God's love. When I think of God's love, it's, sometimes it's easy to get lost in the shuffle of uh, love meaning so many different things. And it's worth coming back to certain very clear images that Jesus offers us such as the love of a parent. If you have a parent who has loved you well at various points in your life, you can imagine that kind of love multiplied by infinity and you have the love of God coming at you. God so loves the world that he sent Jesus, his son, as a baby into it. That is a beautiful thing. Not every religion, by the way, can say that they serve a God like that. But this is the God, the true God of the world. And lastly, gratitude. What do we give thanks for? Well, we give thanks that through that baby who would grow into a man who would walk Calvary's path and die on a cross for our sake, we have the possibility of the salvation that we need. Salvation is indeed a gift from God, given straight from him to you. It says here at the end of this, first, or this John 1 passage, in verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And I would just ask that this morning you'd switch the word grace to gift, because that's what it is. A grace is a gift. And through Jesus and the birth of his son that we are about to celebrate in a week from now, 
we have gifts upon gifts upon gifts, right? And so as we prepare this last week together, may we be reminded of the gift that is Jesus himself. Let's pray together. God, our Father in heaven, Jesus Christ, who came and lived in this world as we live in this world, that loved as we love, that suffered as we suffer, that hurt as we hurt, that had joy the way we have joy. And Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, who speaks to us, we give you praise this morning. We give you our gratitude because the greatest gift we have ever received is Jesus Christ entering into this world that we may be unified with God once again, that the world itself as a whole might be redeemed, that one day when Jesus does return, that this world will be a place that looks a whole lot like the Garden of Eden, filled and populated with the children of God. God, it is our desire to be part of that community. I pray in the here and the now that you fill our hearts with gratitude, with thanks for the coming of Jesus, that you fill our hearts with gratitude for the love that you have given us, and for the goodness that you have put all over this world, Lord. May we be on the lookout for it. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.